time for prayer. <laughs> Let's take this time not only just to pray, but to sit in the presence of God presence of your church family. To know that we are loved. Regardless of how broken we are. And to just feel it. To just sit in it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your love for us. No matter what. I pray, Lord, that you would just give us the strength, the wisdom to step forward into your plan for us, both as church, a church body and as individuals. pray, Lord, that we would always point back to you, whether we're here or somewhere else, that we would always reflect the light that you shine on us. Lord, I pray as we continue in worship in the word, that we would hear your word for us, that we would hear your heart for us, and that we would follow it, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would be a sacrament to this community, changing it, transforming it into your kingdom. I pray for those who are here and not here. 
who have prayer requests. Spoken, unspoken, you know, Lord, the hearts, the pains, the joys, the praises the people have. Pray, Lord, that we would hear your answers to those prayers and walk in them, to live in them. Whatever that may mean. For we know, Lord, you are sovereign. Above all, and your plan is greater in scope and magnitude than we could ever imagine. So again, I thank you. I thank you for everything that you've given us, everything that we have, and especially for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, worship team. We always appreciate uh, the part of the service that you guys do, especially Nate on drums sitting over in the corner. Good morning. It's good to see everybody in God's house this morning. We, uh, it's always nice to look out and see uh, a sea of smiling faces among the green chairs and green carpet and everything. Uh, several announcements. I'll, I'll zip right through them uh, because there's, there's a bunch. I think there's seven or eight. But um, a few ongoing things that we have every week. We have a Tuesday, uh, Tuesday morning, 10 a.m. ladies Bible study here at the church. If you're uh, interested in participating, just show up uh, one week or the other. It's not necessarily you have to be there every week, but be when you can. Um, and we've also, uh, I think we're going into our third week, Wednesday night, 6.30 here at the church, ladies and men's Bible study. Um, so great opportunities there. Again, it's not something you have to be there every week like a, like a soap opera to follow the story, where you can just kind of drop in uh, as you're able to make it. So those are recurring things that are happening. Um, so we've been talking about the men are doing a breakfast starting in October, and the ladies are kind of getting on the idea. So uh, the ladies are doing a brunch um, October 8th at 11 a.m. here at the church. And I think that's going to be everybody bring a dish um, to share. And there is a sign-up sheet um, out in the back so that not everybody brings bacon, although that wouldn't be bad, <laughs> right? You could put it between a piece of bread and call it a something, right? <laughs> so there's a sign-up sheet for the ladies, uh, October 8th brunch. And then the men's breakfast is October 15th. It's, that's, that's the first one, and then it'll be the, the first Saturdays after that. Uh, but the men are meeting at 9 a.m., Ladies are meeting at 11. We're at, men are meeting at uh, 9 a.m. <laughs> um, so those are some things coming up. We also wanted to share that we do have a podcast, an audio recording of the service. It actually goes from the prayer time, the announcements, and the message um, that we record and put the audio. Wherever you follow a podcast, you can search um, for us and listen to that wherever you are as you go. 
Um, we're also going to look at trying something different. We've been doing live stream um, audio video of the service, I think going back maybe a year before COVID, I think is when we actually started that. And we're going to do something a little different with that. We're just going to record part of the service and then put that on Facebook so and YouTube. So it won't be live, but um, it's just too hard with the, the music to get everything to sound the way it does here in the room. So um, just know that that's coming up as well, uh, a change to that. And we'll see how it works out. Um, a community event that's happening October 22nd in Danamora. They're doing a trunk or treat. So if, um, I guess what they do is behind the old elementary building is they, they line cars around um, the field. And then just like you've probably seen trunk or treats done. But if you'd like to do that, um, you can scan that QR code on your phone either right now or we do have a limited number of flyers that if you know you're gonna go, um, you can either take a flyer or just scan the code on it and that'll take you to their site to register. Um, so it's a way that we can, um, you know, be out in the community and participate, um, decorate a trunk. Uh, we're also gonna have some eight and a half by 11 signs that say you are loved Mosaic Church that you can put somewhere on your trunk um, so that they at least know that, um, that we're there. And, um, and we'll see how that goes. So just let us know if you plan to do that and we'll get you one of those, um, those Mosaic Church sticker flyer things that you can put up. And we also, we also thank you for your continued giving. Uh, we can't do what we do without you. Um, when you give, you can designate either general, which just goes towards the overall operations. And you can also designate to missions. We support three missionaries overseas, um, the Whites, the Masseys, and the Schlegels. Um, and we also support Birthright of the North Country. So those are the things that we, that we support from the mission side. So we thank you for your faithful giving. You know, every week I, I introduce a new speaker. Well, today's Franklin is speaking. We all know Franklin. Hi, Franklin. He was, he was reading through his sermon one last time there when I was getting ready to come up and pray for him. <laughs> um, but anyway, we, we, uh, we thank Franklin for the work that he does here. We thank all the speakers who come in and, and bring a fresh word to us, um, you know, each week. It's for me, it's a treat just to have a variety of different people who are speaking. And um, we also have a scripture reading this morning. The scripture always ties in with the message. And I believe, uh, Mitzi, you're, yep, yep, we'll have you come on up and, uh, and do that now. Thank you. Good morning. This is from 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. <clears throat> Beloved, I urge you as sojourns and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I was just gonna leave. Um, <laughs> Get rid of this. 
because it's always in my way. Well, good morning. It's a wonderful day out. We, fall is clearly, like, imminent. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's so wonderful being in, in the North Country. Six months out of the year, the rest of the six months are winter. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, no, but seriously, it's, it's a, um, you can feel the season changing. You can feel that we're coming upon a new time. Um, and just be aware of that, you know. So often, so many things tend to change with the seasons. Uh, even, even if it doesn't seem like it should, they do. So be aware of that. And even, even in spiritual matters, uh, with Christ, things tend to, to move. Uh, in that same way. So be aware, be, be understanding, and just be in touch with what God has for us. Now that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about this morning. Um, <laughs> uh, this morning we're talking about the sacramental life. Um, these past few weeks and probably months, I know I've prayed uh, several prayers um, in general, uh, but also uh, lately uh, about praying that the church would be a sacrament to the community, that we would be a sacrament to the community. And in thinking about what I was going to preach about, uh, I realized that I don't think we've ever explained what that means. A, what a sacrament is. I mean, some of you who've grown up in the church understand and know what a sacrament is, but what does it mean to be a sacrament? To live as a sacrament? For the church to be a sacrament? So, let's start off with something simple. The dictionary definition of what a sacrament is. Okay. Uh, Ritual actions undertaken by the Christian church that are understood as visible signs of invisible divine grace. Ritual actions, repeated actions, undertaken by the church that are understood as visible signs of invisible divine grace. Now, we're going to sort of give sort of a small theology lesson uh, here, just to, to get us started. I think it's important for us to, to, to have that. Um, we, in the Wesleyan Church, are part of a, a larger group of Christians known as Protestants. Uh, and if you, again, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, there's two of these so-called ritual actions that we call sacraments, baptism and communion. Communion. <laughs> um, Wesleyans, and even more broadly Protestants, are not the only form of Christians. I uh, would hope you would know and understand that. Um, <laughs> because, in all honesty, Christianity is as diverse as the people who believe in Christ. So, when we look at other forms of Christianity, specifically Catholics, we see that they have seven of these ritual actions. 
and they take of the form of baptism, confirmation, or known as an affirmation of the belief in Christ, confession, confessing your sins, Eucharist, otherwise known as communion, holy orders, otherwise known as ordination, marriage, and the anointing of the sick. Now, whether we believe that these events can be raised to the level of what we would call a sacrament is a theological discussion that we can have at a later date, and one that has, in all honesty, been debated by theologians for centuries, if not millennia. And will probably continue to be debated until Christ returns. But I think all of these fit that broad definition at least slightly. That definition of ritual actions undertaken by the Christian church that are understood as visible signs of invisible divine grace. Every one of those actions ends up being some visible sign of God's grace. Now that we've gotten through some of that theological clunkiness. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for us to have the conversation about what it means for us as a church and individuals to be a sacrament? We are called to live lives that reflect Jesus. This is in every aspect. We are meant to strive for the perfectness that he was in everything. Now, we all know there's no way we'll actually achieve that perfectness. None of us are going to show up and be like, ha, 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 I am now perfect. Uh, and you'd probably sing it in a bigger, better key because there'd be a perfect key, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm glad your, your ears are bleeding now. Uh, <laughs> but even if we can't reach it. It doesn't mean we don't strive for that perfectness in Christ. When you strive to live like Jesus, to be totally blameless, to be totally committed to the things of God, people end up taking notice. Just like they did when Jesus was around. Jesus had so many followers, and yes, he would heal people and perform miracles, but also because he lived a life in such a way that he was different. People couldn't help but be curious about this odd preacher from Nazareth. He took part in actions that showed his divinity his power, his grace. And it's our job to also take part in those same actions as Christians. Again, we're not Jesus, but we're supposed to be called, we're called Christians, Christ-like. And you might be thinking about your, to yourself, well, that was Jesus, and We've already explained that it's sort of an impossible standard to become perfect. 
And, but Jesus understood that. But he also understood that even a little bit of Christ-like love changed the world. He illustrated this in his parable of the yeast in Matthew 13, 33. In Matthew, there we go. I don't know. Uh, Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in, there, and in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Even a little bit of living like Christ will permeate everything around you. Or another way we can think of it is even a little bit of light dissipates the darkness around it. A little bit of godly living will change the circumstances, will show the world that there is hope, and will be a sacrament to them. It spreads to those around you and changes them when they take, when they see your lifestyle as a committed Christian. They'll see it through their eyes. They'll hear it through their ears. And they'll feel the difference when interacting with you. Just your existence as a committed Christ follower in the world is enough to start transforming it. When we live a sacramental life, we not only transform our own lives to be more like Jesus, we transform the lives around us. Often without even realizing it. We will go through life and people will notice the difference that's inside of you. When things don't go your way and you give the situation grace. When the world seems to be falling apart, yet you seem to be solidly planted. When trial and tribulation comes your way and you face it without hesitation, people will take notice. It doesn't have to be in, a bi in the big, huge things either. Often the small things people end up noticing. When you forgive the bumbling coworker for the millionth time for some mistake that they've made. When you sacrifice your time to help someone with a small project that goes way longer than expected. You see, living sacramentally is just being like Jesus. So that when people see your actions every single day, it ends up being a small sign of the invisible grace that you live with every day. You will be so different from the world that it will lead people that you interact with every day to ask questions. Maybe not directly to you. Maybe they ask other people who may know you better. But they'll be asking, why? What's different? What's different about me? They're not like everyone else. The 
these questions when asked enough by enough people living, about people living sacramentally, will always lead back to Jesus. Now comes the hard part. Living is a sacrament. It's not easy. It's not living life perfectly, because that's impossible, but it certainly is striving for it. Any athlete, musician, or anyone really that has some sort of refined talent in, in something will tell you, in order to become a master of it, to be great at what they do, to be able to engage in an activity and it seems flawless every single time takes tons of practice, tons of grueling hard work, and even the most talented require that to become a master at what they do. This is no different for Christians. Seeking to live a sacramental life. We have to practice sacramental living every single day, not just on Sundays. And yes, that often does mean sort of the Sunday school answer that we all know, reading the Bible and praying more. But it also means integrating what you learn from your time in the Word. Integrating from the conversations that you have with God into your daily life so that you slowly become more Christ-like. I'm sure any of you who grew up in the church can remember one or two people that some might have called a saint. Someone who seemed like they were living their life so well for Christ, everyone looked up to them and went to them for advice. And when things got hard, they were stable. When the boat was rocked, when the storm came, they didn't panic. It's not because of any position they held. There was no special authority given to these people that allowed them to command themselves to be calm, collected, to view God, to always point to God. No. It's because that person, whoever you have as an image in your mind, was heavenly-minded, had some sort of routine to get into the word and prayer. They constantly were interacting, not only with their church community, but everyone they met in a graceful and loving manner. There are actually several examples of this kind of person in the Bible, other than Jesus, but the one that we're going to focus on this morning is Joseph. Many of us know the story of Joseph, at least the tagline that comes with this story, Joseph and the coat of many colors. 
Do, but do we know the end of that story? Where he ended up? Being the most powerful person in the Egyptian empire at the time? Maybe you know that story. But do you know what led him there? What got him out of trouble and issues that seem to be the end? You see, Joseph lived a sacramental life. It didn't matter what was going on in his life. He lived the life that God had for him regardless of the issues that he was presented with. When his brother sold him into slavery, he ended up being a slave in Potiphar's home, the captain of Pharaoh's guard. And this is what happened to Joseph in Potiphar's home. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing, except what kind of food to eat. If we go back to the beginning of that reading in Genesis, the Lord was with Joseph. This is an interesting statement. When you look at it on its surface, it seems like, or at least it initially makes you think, well, the Lord had, had attached himself to Joseph in some way and was just blessing Joseph because of this. But when we look at the Hebrew, we actually see the word eith, which means to be together or in close proximity. The Lord was close with Joseph, not just in a physical sense, but in a metaphorical sense. And you can't be close with someone unless it's a two-way street, right? No one calls their close friend just someone that they follow around. <laughs> that would be a little odd. Number one, don't like, just follow people around and be like, hey, they're my close friend. No, don't. That, don't. It's called stalking. Um, <laughs> but we see from this statement that Joseph and God were close to each other. Joseph had a relationship. He lived in a way that was holy, that was godly.
And the thing is, through that living, we get this next statement. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph. Potiphar realized that Joseph had a relationship with God and that made him different. It made, it gave him success in everything he did. Even when times were hard, even as a slave sold by his brothers, he was still a sacrament. He was still an outward an outward action. He was taking those actions to show the inner change, that link that he had with God. It was clear that everything that Joseph put his hand to was blessed. And nothing here says Joseph just existed. He didn't just happen to be this way. When we see other people, other stories in the Bible that talk about people who lived sacramentally, we see they put in the hard work and it doesn't seem any different for Joseph. He lived as a follower of the one true God And because of that, his lifestyle was different. We not only see this here, but two times later in the story of Joseph. When he's in prison, he lives in a way that all of a sudden the guards notice him and they put him in charge of the other prisoners. And then that gets him noticed through his ability to well, he's able to interact with all the prisoners and because of that, he hears some dreams, is able to show his gift of interpreting dreams and that brings him to Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh, after interpreting his dreams, sees that God is with Joseph and then puts him in charge of everything in the land. Joseph put in the hard work and lived as a follower of the one true God. Everyone he interacted with recognized that there was something different with him. And like I said, we don't see this just with Joseph. There's story after story in the Bible of people living a life for God and people noticing things just seem to be better when they're around. There's Jacob and his uncle, Daniel, Paul and Silas in prison, Nehemiah, David, and probably more that I couldn't think of off the top of my head while I was writing this. Now, I'm not saying that you will have some sort of meteoric rise to power and prestige like Joseph did. In fact, like Daniel, there may be some people who see you 
and become jealous and try to sabotage you. But what I am saying is with discipline and a close relationship with Christ, people will notice that difference in your actions. So much so that they will realize that there's something that makes you completely different from anyone else around you. And they may not really realize why until someone comes by and waters those seeds. I once had a boss who confided in me that he really liked hiring Christians. Not because he agreed with our, you know, theological beliefs or philosophical beliefs. He wasn't a Christian himself and had no desire to really undertake that change of heart. But he said something interesting. He's like, often when I hire a Christian, they work harder. I have way less disciplinary issues with them. And they tend to just bring everyone around them up a little bit. Everybody sort of raises up to the next level when they're around. This kind of thing, this anecdote, I guess, this story, is what sacramental living does. It changes the entire dynamic around you. We're called to help build the kingdom of God through the church, but also through our everyday actions. Again, I will say that life, living life sacramentally is no easy challenge. I often say that when you live a life for Christ, it means being willing to do anything. And when I say anything, it means anything and everything that God asks you to do, up to and including the loss of your life, both literally and metaphorically. This is often a very scary proposition for us, especially in the fairly safe world we live in right now, in the North Country, in the U.S. But I think about, well, some of the missionaries we support, where we can't speak publicly about where they live. Because if we do, their government might find out and take them and do who knows what to them. That scary proposition is worth it, though. Not for some gifts promised us to us in heaven or anything like that, but because it points 
more lives towards Christ. It changes the lives around us so that instead of pointing towards whatever chaos the world points them in, it just sort of brings the needle a little bit more towards Christ. And think about repeated interactions, how they build up and build up and build up. And again, you may never see it. You may have interactions with people and be long gone and then at a much later date, the fruit comes about that their life has been changed. When you live a life sacramentally, you end up living a life that is simply transformed and transformational. Constantly taking the things around us and being a catalyst for God to build his kingdom around us. I'm going to call the worship team up. Now you may be thinking, Franklin, I already live a pretty close life with God and I'm not really seeing any of that change that you're talking about. And that may be true. There could be two reasons for that that I can really think of anyways. Maybe it's that your internal life is committed to God, but when you step out of your Christian community, when you step out into the world, it doesn't show. It's not that outward view. People don't see those repeated godly actions that show the internal change in your life. In other words, you may talk the talk, but you may not be walking the walk. And that, that's a hard thing to come to terms with. But, I'll let you know that your community is here for you. If you need a voice, a hand, if you feel things slip when you get away from your Christian brothers and sisters, then don't be that far away from us. Give us a call. I'm sure any number of us would love hearing from you during the week. Show up to Bible study. Show up to brunch <laughs> or lunch, depending on where you fit in that. Maybe just take a few moments to sit quietly in silence. listen for God's direction in your life. What actions he wants you to take. 
how he wants you to live. What that transformational living looks like for you. The other reason might be a concept stated by Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 9. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God workers, and you are God's field, and you are God's building. We may not see the harvest of the seeds we plant and water. That's for God to worry about. What you're supposed to be worrying about is your life, your interaction with Christ, what that looks like. To do the work that God has called us to do, to live like Christ so that we can be part of his kingdom and to be a force through him, to make the world around us look like that kingdom that he is building. I'll leave you with this verse from 2 Peter 1, 10 through 11. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have called us to be change bringers, to be sacraments, to take outward actions that show the change that is in our lives. And because of those outward actions, they affect the people around us. So I pray as we continue into this service, as we continue into communion, that we would strive to see you, to seek you, to live like you. And to sacrifice like you. Jesus' name we pray. Now, 